0: Today we are in week five of our six-week series called The Bible Says. And our hope in this series is to elevate God's word in our lives, to trust the Bible's true. We're reminded that the Bible is authoritative for how we believe and how we behave. Uh, We've said it for weeks now. We trust the word is a living and active word from God. It's still powerful, it builds our faith. Romans 10, 17 says, building up your faith in the word of God and it strengthens our walk with Jesus. How many of you know we live in a culture that doesn't care what the Bible says? But I'm talking to the church today, I'm not doing a telecast to the whole culture, I'm talking to the body of Christ. And so we have decided in this series that we believe the Bible, we believe it's true and authoritative, teaches us how to believe, teaches us how to behave. There will be things today that challenge you in this fifth week that definitely go against the grain of what our culture says and maybe what you felt or believed or done But I wanna ask you to let the Bible say what it wants to say. And you have to decide, and I have to decide, will I let the Scripture be authoritative or will I try to be authoritative over it? So far in the series, we've asked, what does the Bible say about the Bible? What's the Bible say about Jesus? What's the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? What's the Bible say about spiritual warfare? And today I'm asking the question, what does the Bible say about gender, sex, and sexuality? And we believe, by the way, this whole series is designed for small group discussions, and so we want to encourage everyone to talk about this in your small group, and I want to encourage you to, uh, to let the scripture speak the loudest in your small group discussion. Particularly of all the messages in this series, I realize that today's sermon, today's discussion is going to bring some load to it. It's going to bring some, some, some stress and tension, and maybe already you're kind of on edge wondering where I'm going to land on this. Um, but it's also the most prevalent conversation that our culture is engaging in today. We're living in a time and in a culture where the concept of gender is being challenged. The idea of gender is no longer connected to your biology. It's a matter of social construct, a sense or a feeling or an urge, or it's directly attached to how you may want to identify yourself. We're living in a post-sexual revolution world. Like if you remember the 60s and 70s, they called it, in in America anyway, they called it the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s. And now we're living one to two generations removed from that, after that, and in consequence of that, where sex and sexuality, hookup culture, and anything goes mindset is way more normal than, than a traditional view of things like fidelity and faithfulness. Those seem like archaic ideas. Monogamy and the idea of saving sex for marriage is so unusual now, especially for our young people, to carry those kind of old values makes a lot of our young people and and the younger generations feel uncomfortable, out of place with their peers. And frankly, it's just not often talked about anymore. Casual sex is normal. Hookup culture is normal. We have apps now that can literally direct you to having sex that day. Most researchers have agreed that pretty much everyone in dating relationships now is having sex before marriage. Uh, One article I read a a couple years ago said, it was like, 97% of guys are having sex before marriage. And then it said like 94% of ladies are having sex before marriage. And then the article finally said, you know what? We really should just stop counting because pretty much everyone is having sex outside of marriage. Um, Sex sells everything. I mean, think about anything you wanna buy except for maybe baby food or whatever, you know, I don't know, but pretty much everything else. There's an allure, there's erotica, there's sexuality, there's something in media and advertising, movies. We're in an over-sexualized culture. Mike Bartell, the founder and, and president of Free International, a ministry to victims of human trafficking, forced prostitution, sexual slavery, he's one of our partners, he uses the word the pornification of our culture. And he actually thinks it's a direct, um, it's a direct cause to a lot of the trafficking and, and sexual brokenness that he sees every day with human trafficking. Our world is screaming right now for the advancement and the acceptance of new ideas about gender, gender identities, free expression of sex, the aggrandizement of any and all sexual expressions, sexualities, redefining what's not only acceptable, but what's normal from here forward related to marriage and family. We hear all sorts of labels and letters, LGBTQIA+, we have language like bi, bisexual, trans, cis, non-binary, gender-fluid, asexual, and more. Uh, Wayne Francis, he's a good friend of our church, he said in New York State, they have a list of 31 or more different gender names now. And here's, here's one of the challenges with this conversation because we have shifted to say that love is the standard, which who's gonna argue about that, right? Like who's gonna say, no, 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 of course not. Of course love is great, love, like Paul says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Starts with love. And he says, there's never anything wrong with that. But we've subtly shifted as a culture to say love is the standard, not God's word or some objective truth. But the question that I have for us as a church is does God have the right to say something here? Does God have the right? Now listen, uh, I want us to pray because I, I, I know and I know our room, I know who's here. And, And uh, obviously not every one of you, but I'm aware that there are varied positions. All of us have a friend who, all of us have a family member who, all of us have struggled with. And so I'm I'm very keenly aware of that. And my my job today is not to harm or hurt or take scriptures and just throw them at you like daggers. How many of you know the Bible is a sword of the spirit, not a dagger for your bigotry, right? And so my job is to pastor and to teach. And our job as a church is to ask God, Lord, Lord, what are you saying? So let me pray for that position and then uh, we'll continue. Father, we love you and we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love um, the church. God, that you've given us your word, you've given us your son, you've given us your Holy Spirit and you've also given us pastors and teachers as a gift to instruct us. So Lord, we receive your spirit, your word, your son. And we wanna receive this word today. Let us have an openness to hear from heaven, even as it confronts our flesh in a major way or our beliefs in a major way or our our social constructs or our politics. God, let us hear from you and humbly submit to Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. I spent a large part of my master's level academic career wrestling through and understanding God's heart on gender, sex, sexuality, divorce, remarriage, marriage. I spent a lot of time in my graduate studies on this from a biblical perspective. Now, the truth is you can Google a host of different perspectives, tons of them. But I wanted to start here as a theologian, as a pastor. And that's where I hope to start for us today. Uh, I promise you there will be varied views in the room today. And and I'm okay with that. I'm not threatened by that at all. but let me just say, historically, the church has always held a Bible says position, but that's nuanced and that's evolved and changed. The church in an effort to maybe not be uh, upsetting or to bring, not to get into the fray of cultural issues has, has changed that position, the, the church capital C. But the church has always held a position based on the Bible says, but now if you do that, you run the risk of being canceled, attacked, challenged, called a bigot or a hater. In fact. In some countries, to hold a biblical worldview on gender, sex, and sexuality, it's considered hate speech. Literally, there's a crime of hate speech associated with it, and many pastors have lost their careers, their ministry, even their freedom. There's a pastor in Canada in 2021 who was arrested for preaching a message like I'm gonna preach today. I'm not advocating, I don't wanna jail ministry, you know what I'm saying, I'm just saying this happens. In London, England, last year, a pastor was arrested. In Pennsylvania, this year, there's a current there's a current uh, issue in the courts in Pennsylvania of a pastor preaching, and I, don't, I didn't hear the sermon. I just read the headline about the sermon. So I don't know, maybe he was a hateful, hate monger. I don't know what he was saying, but I'm just saying this kind of sermon uh, has risk. And so I'm praying, as I've been praying for this message, I'm praying for you. I mean, I, don't, I want your, your family to hear the truth. And I understand that I'm exposing myself to this, but, but what I want us to examine is not only what the Bible says about gender, sex, and sexuality, I want us to not only see what the Bible says about those things, but I want us to understand what the Bible means about those things too. In other words, what's the spirit behind the word of God? What's what's the heart of God behind these things? Because I think those are both important. It's one thing to quote it, read the black and white letters or the red letters, but it's another thing to understand it. And that's where I want us to land today. Not only what the Bible says, but what does it mean? What's normative in the overall context and heart of God on these topics, and how do we as Christians hold ourselves accountable to God's word, God's heart, and most of all, how God sees us as his people. Now, um, I'm gonna say, I I will, there's no way I can say everything. This could be an eight-week series. So let me just say some things, okay? If you have questions, uh, I'll do my best at the red wall. If you have complaints, email Willie at (laughs) livepointchurch.tv. Because he's smarter than me, that's why. But I gotta give you, church, ground rules. Because I'm gonna tell you, I've pastored a long time. And when I've talked about these issues, I've always heard Christians go, amen, it's about time to I wish everybody, I wish so-and-so would hear this. Well, I would wish that you would hear it. This is not directed at your cousin and them and your friends who and all the people that you think need to hear this message. This is a sermon for you, church. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5. And he's writing some really hard stuff. He's actually, the whole letter is a correction to the Corinthians on, on money and sex and marriage and spiritual gifts, and he's like the whole thing, he's just whacking them upside the head. And the whole letter's written to church people, Christians, those who say they follow Jesus. And he writes this, he says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? In other words, Paul's like, what business is it of mine of people who don't belong to Jesus? I'm not, in, I'm not sitting in the seat of judgment for them. Look at what he says. What, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge hey people love to throw this you shouldn't that's judgmental don't judge me no if you're a christian i'm called to judge you and you're called to judge me it's called accountability listen let me give you all of you freedom here if i ever say something stupid crazy or theologically broken judge me for that hold me accountable I don't get to just say whatever I want without accountability, I am under accountability. And we are to hold one another accountable. When you're dealing with another believer and another Christian, you are called to judge them and hold them accountable. Hey man, you can't be cheating on your wife. Well, God knows my heart, this is how I feel. I'm just attracted. God knows your heart's stupid, stop it. Don't judge me, bro. What about what you did last summer? This ain't about me, this is about you, dummy. Stop it, It's I'm judging, yes I'm judging you because God's called us to judge one another but not to judge the world. Look what he says, God will judge people outside, but you purge the evil on the inside. So I just wanna give you as a ground rule church, I'm not preaching to America. I'm not preaching to the West. I'm not preaching to the world. I'm preaching to Life point Church where I'm the pastor. And I wanna encourage you with this. If you're a Christian, then this sermon should impact and inform you. That's my prayer. It's not meant to be a correction on and against people who are not Christians. That's not our job. We're to love people that don't believe in Jesus. (laughs) We're to pursue them and give them opportunity to know Christ. That's why we say anybody's welcome at this church to get to know Jesus and be changed by him, not to be judged into conversion by his people. We are to judge and hold one another accountable. So if you're a follower of Christ, we believe God's word and we follow his teachings. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So church, we've been asking, what's the Bible say? We're going to talk today about some of the things that the Bible says here. The first thing I want you to write down is this. God designed gender, sex, and sexuality, and it was very good. It is very good. It's God's design. So much of the debate and the discussion about God's will and plan regarding gender, sex, sexuality, and I'm talking all sexuality, heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, whatever, I don't care, sexuality, the expression of sex, it's found in the opening chapters of your Bible. And we're gonna see the foundation stone for God's people forever. I learned this from a guy, uh, a lot of this from uh, a minister named Cy Rogers, who was antagonistic against God, hated the Lord and read these texts and it really changed his life. Genesis chapter one, we have the story of creation. We've talked about this a couple times in the series. God when He created everything. He says, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void and the spirit hovered over it. And God says in verse 26, now God, the Trinity, the triune Godhead says, now let us make man in our image. This is day six. Sixth stage of creation. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's the loaded statement. God's saying we're image bearers of God, we should reflect the Lord. The image and likeness of God, we're body, soul, and spirit. He's triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. He's relational. Think about God is in perfect, harmonious, complementary relationship as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so part of being an image and likeness person is we're triune and we're relational. We're also holy, right? And we're designed by God. So God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and then let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, livestock over all the things that creep and all the creeping, creepy creeps, right? So if you ever meet a creep, you take the dominion over them right there in Jesus' name, right? So, so, so here's God's design for creation, image and likeness of God. And we've been given authority and dominion. Now watch this. So God created man in his own image. And then he repeats himself. In his own image, God created them, him. And this is mankind. And then here's the gender statement. Male and female, God created them. Now th- it's just there. It's there. It's in the text. Now we've, we've said we believe the Bible is true and authoritative. And so God created us in his image, in his likeness, and he created us with a binary Gender assignment, male and female. And then verse 31 says, everything that God made, he looked at it and he said, it is very good. In fact, in all other five days of creation, day one, two, three, four, and five, God said it was good, he rested. God said it was good, he rested. On day six, God looked at everything and he goes, it is very good. Come on, how many be thankful that mankind is the part he said was very good, not animal day. God said it was very good. There was evening and morning the sixth day. So I just want you to see this again. God created us in his image and his nature and his likeness. And gender is mentioned in God's original design. That is a unique binary that God set into motion. Now listen, that means it's part of God's beautiful creation. And to reject that we have a male female reality and distinction, listen, you can debate and not like it and whatever and feel a different way, fine but to reject it is to reject the design and hand of God, his intelligence and his beautiful design. Paul would affirm this in the, uh, the letters to the Corinthian church. When he affirmed the distinctions between men and women, he said like, be a lady, be a man, like let those, let those things be celebrated and cherished, not destroyed or deconstructed. So, so that's where we start. Day six is the creation of mankind. We've got authority, we've got God's image and likeness and we're male and female. And then chapter two, most scholars would say chapter one is the, is the um, you know, it's the sports center kind of highlight reel. And then chapter two is let's unpack the creation of mankind. Let's go into the story and the details a little bit further. So in chapter two, we get to, so uh, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts on the seventh day, God finished his work and he rested. Now, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When there was no bush of the field, land and the plant, God did not cause it to rain. There was this chapter two, verse five, and I'm reading it very fast. Uh, there's a mist over the face of the earth, and the Lord formed man from the dust. He created him, but he formed us from the dust of the ground and breathed life into his nostrils, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there was a man God put there and formed it. And out of the ground, the Lord made every tree and plant that's pleasant for food. So he's kind of giving more details other than the one through five, day, one through six days in chapter one. A river flowed in Eden. God said not to eat it, that one tree in the midst. Verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to work it. Come on, men, get a job. Hello, come on now. And the Lord God, this is before sin, like go to work. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat the one of the tree in the middle. Okay, we're going to get, that's another message. But then verse 18, God says, it is not good that man be alone. Now, now let's, let's be specific and let's be general here. Every day of creation, God said it was good, 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 it was, good, it was very good. And yet God knew in his own creation something about it wasn't good. So God is actually self-commentating here going, wait a minute, I got to fix this. I thought it was great. It was very good. Now, let let me unpack what makes it very good, right? He said, it's not good that that man's alone so that mankind does life alone. You're never meant to do life as a hermit in your own world. Like we're meant in relationship. That's part of being image bearers and people like God. He says, it's not good for a man to be alone, so I will make him a helper look at the language here fit for him that means there's a fitting together that makes sense and that is on so many different levels emotionally mentally physically spiritually there is a companion connecting and a fitting together i remember when my wife and i were dating she was arguing with me about something i don't you know it's always her but um (laughs) not true at all that's a joke but she, when we were dating, I mean, we would, you know, we're kind of figuring this out. We're ironing out our differences. And, and I would get frustrated about stuff. She'd get frustrated. And one day she calls her dad, just venting a little bit about something that I'd probably said stupid. And uh, he says to her, well, Stephanie, if he were just like you, you wouldn't need him. And he said, maybe God gave you someone not like you to be a compliment to you, to be a fit for you, right? And so, hey, everybody look at your spouse and be like, I guess I need you after all. You know, like, just <laughs> embrace that. All the things that frustrate you. And let me tell all of you dating squids something here real quick. You know, like, you got the glass half full eyes right now, and you're like, oh, they're so unique. I love this about him. I love this about her. Those will be the things you hate. <laughs> he always so cavalier, just shows up when he wants. He's alive for the party. He's never on time to anything. He doesn't care that I did all this work to put this party together. He just shows up and eats the chips. I mean, that's just the way it is, right? So anyway... Maybe God knows that your life alone be better with somebody. We're gonna talk about singleness and sexuality and all that stuff in just a second. So God knocks him out. (laughs) I love this, takes a rib from Adam and makes a a woman. I think it's great that God didn't make her from the foot of Adam so that he would dominate her. He also didn't make her from the neck or head of Adam, regardless of my big fat Greek wedding, (laughs) that he made her from the rib that she would stand beside him. It's part of the design of God. It's beautiful. It's very good. This is God's design. I didn't write this Bible, y'all. But then notice, he knocks him out. He wakes up and he says, this is at last. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. The very language of this companion relationship is that the, the wording is even similar, man, woman. In the Hebrew, it's ish, isha. And then verse 24 gives us this picture. So we've got gender Already we've got it's good for companionship and then we've got this language in verse 24. Therefore, because everything I just told you, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the implication here too, the woman would leave her mother and father, and hold fast to his wife and the two, one translation says, and then the two shall become one flesh. Okay, let me just, let's slow, What I said what does the Bible say and what's the Bible mean? So we have a picture of God's original design, God's created designation of things. And he called it very good. Well, what about this was very good? First of all, we have the complement of the two genders, the male and female. We have companionship, bringing good to their relationship. But notice also, there's really four things in this text alone that I think really settle a lot of the debates. Now listen, we're not called to judge people that don't believe in Jesus and follow the word. I'm trying to teach the church how to think on this, because remember, the Bible teaches us what to believe and how to behave. So there's four things that we see in this verse alone. Let me just show it to you. Number one is maturity, marriage, sex, relationships like this, it's for grown folks. That's why teenagers having sex is always a mistake. Because they ain't grown enough to deal with the consequences of it. They're not grown enough to get, look, if you ain't ready to move out your parents' house and get off their cell phone plan and their health insurance, you ain't ready to get married. You better grow up. And to all you 28 year olds still living on your daddy's cell phone plan with your husband, stop it, dad, I give you permission today to cut them off. They can get a flip phone. Come on, y'all remember being broke? They can be broke too. If you are ready to get married and be sexual and be in monogamous relationship, listen, you better be grown enough to get on your own. Believe your parents. It don't mean you hate them. Hey, I'm just gonna tell you, I've pastored 20 years. One of the most toxic things married couples deal with is an inability to launch well, leave their family of origin, and they invite too much in-law, infighting, and drama. You got to go. Some people are like, when you 18, you out my house. Well, you can can kick it. But you get married, deuces. I'll see you with them grandkids, but get out my house. You cannot live in my basement. Nope. You can go live in... Van down by the river, you newlyweds. <laughs> I, I know I'm being funny here, but I am serious. It's a mature act, marriage and sex and all this stuff. But notice it's marriage, it's maturity, it's, it's marriage. A man leaves his mother and father to unite to his wife. Notice it's not his woman, his girlfriend, his concubine, his bootang. It's to move out and establish a new family with a wife. Wife is intentional in Genesis because it's marriage language. This is before they even had weddings. God wrote this. Adam and Eve didn't have a ceremony. But God is establishing a pattern that this is marriage, it's husband, it's wife. Look, it's one wife too. So it's monogamous. He didn't leave out to get a horde of women. She didn't roll out to get a list of dudes on her. Rolodex, how you like that old reference there? And in that context, it's sexual. And then the two become one, flesh. How do y'all think that happens? Just curious. I got a diagram, let me show you. No, I don't, no, I don't. (laughs) Some of these kids sat up like, what's that? (laughs) God's design. Now listen, I'm trying to be as pastoral as, I know I use humor sometimes, maybe it's insecurity, I don't know, but as your pastor, let me just show you something. God's design for gender, sex, and the expression of sexuality is very good. It's it's binary in gender. It's mature, monogamous. It's marriage, which shows us here, male and female. And in that context is sex. Now, I get it. This is a very good picture of what God designed. And, and, And God's statement is it's not only good, it's very good, but it's never popular when I say this. Sex is a gift from God, and its gift is best expressed in the context of a marriage. It's not popular, it's not common, it's not normal, but I'm still gonna say, but God says, God's word says. Let me give you an example. Uh, Somebody gave my family a $100 gift card to Crumble Cookie. Can someone say praise the Lord? God is so good. (laughs) And that gift is amazing, and it's generous, and it's special, and it's only good at one place in town. I can't bring that gift to Chili's. I can't bring that gift to Starbucks and get a coffee. It's only good in one place. And it's only good when the place is open. I took my youngest daughter, Brooklyn, on a date one Sunday evening, just the two of us. And I'm like, girl, we're going to go out. We're going to eat. We're going to go get a crumble cookie. She's like, oh, my goodness, daddy. I don't know why either one of us talk, don't talk like that at all. <laughs> I bring her to crumble, and they're closed on Sunday nights. So I had to suffer at Culver's, come on Jesus. (laughs) But every good gift also has a context of a gift. It's like if if you give your kid a Nerf gun, do you expect them to bring it to church while I'm preaching and just sit on the front row and pow, 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 pow. (laughs) It's a great gift, but has a place. And sex is the same way. It's a wonderful gift and it has a place. It's like a bonfire. Would you want me to start a fire and put some logs up here and throw kerosene on it and light it right here? Fireman says no. But come on, it'll heat us, it'll smoke, we can do s'mores here. It's a gift. Fire is a gift and wood, only in the right place or else it's destructive. And sex is a very good gift in the right context of mature, monogamous marriage between a man and woman. And listen, that doesn't mean it's not fun, exciting, feel good. I mean, if you know all kinds of sin feels good, as fun as exciting. But if you want to please God, if you want God to say it's very good, that's the way God calls it good. So then chapter 3. And this is where everything else comes into play. We are still living in the result of chapter 3, the fall of mankind. God gave one rule, they broke it. Sin enters in, brokenness, fallenness. And the fall ruined everything. The fall ruined everything good and very good and perfect of creation. After Genesis 3, we've got all kinds of brokenness, sexual brokenness, sexual immorality, which the language of sexual immorality in the New Testament, it, it connotes anything outside of this, anything out of God's original plan for mature, monogamous, uh, married sex, right? He says, we, we have all kinds of other expressions. People want to go, well, in the Bible, didn't they? Didn't they? Didn't Yeah, they had all kinds of twisted brokenness in the Bible. That doesn't mean it was godly. Some people say, what's the biblical definition of marriage? I'm like, well, it depends on what chapter you're reading. That's not even, like, stop using that language, church. I believe in the biblical definition of marriage. Which part of the Bible? David uh, cheating on his wife with his neighbor's wife and killing her husband? That biblical definition of marriage? Which one are you talking about? Noah sleeping with his daughters? That biblical definition of marriage? What are you talking about? Stop using that language. Say, I believe in God's original design for sex and sexuality in marriage. But throughout the rest of the Bible, listen, Starting in Genesis 3, we've got adultery, polygamy, pedophilia, homosexuality, we've got sexualizing angels, divorce, remarriage, rape, incest, and so many other things of sexual and gender brokenness. The original design was very good, but then we fell. Sexual immorality is the new norm, and it still plagues us today. Now we're trying to rewrite Scripture and delete pages and go, well, that's all archaic, and nobody lives by that book anymore. But church, I'm not judging the world. I'm judging you, and I'm calling us back to the picture of what God originally intended. And you go, well, that's Old Testament. That's not what we have anymore. And then come comes Jesus. And people say, Jesus never talked about these things. Uh, yeah, he did. And in fact, uh, there's a lot of things Jesus didn't talk about. And to use his silence as an option for you to engage in something is really bad and weak theology. You know, Jesus never said, don't beat up your wife. He never said it. And let me tell you something. If you beat on your wife, I pray today that she leaves you and you go to jail for it. And it is not God's will because Jesus didn't say anything about it. Jesus never said, don't text and drive. Jesus never said a lot of things. But he did say... And he meant a lot of other things. So in Matthew 19, Jesus is being confronted by sexually immoral Pharisees. And their sexual immorality at the time was actually uh, adultery, divorce, and remarriage. Casual, too. They are just trading in wives like crazy. And they come to Jesus, and they got like this law passed under Moses that they could divorce their wife for any reason. And so they come to Jesus on this sexual immorality that they're living in. And they go, what do you say? Because Moses said, we can. And which, by the way, Jesus, I love how he punks him. He goes, well, Moses let you because you're hard-hearted. Go read the text in Matthew 19. But, but, But here's what's really interesting. Jesus, remember I said, this is God's original design. So they're asking a question about divorce and remarriage, which is part of the sexual brokenness in Genesis 3 and forward. By the way, anything that you've done sexually broken, God will forgive you when you ask him. So none of what I'm saying here is meant to judge you or condemn any of you, but I am gonna invite you to repent and walk away from that. Anyway, I could t- talk about this for hours. I, I did a ton of work on this in, in school. I promise you, I'm not trying to just be a bigot up here. So in Matthew 19, Jesus responds to the Pharisees, who were the, the like the doctors of theology. And he goes, "Well, haven't you read?" <laughs> I just love, he's so slick. You know, it's like asking an AP calc student, "Don't you know your addition tables?" You know, like. He says, they go, what do you say? We can divorce and remarriage for any reason. Just turn tables, flip these women in, you know, turn one in and get you another one. And he goes, well, haven't you read? That he, God, who created from the beginning, made them male and female, there's your binary. And God said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two become one flesh then he closes the quote and he adds to it because he's God, he can do it. So they're no longer two, but one. And what God has joined, which this is the only relationship on the planet that God joins two people as one. I don't care how close you are. I don't care what your business partner relationship is. I don't care that you've been friends since second grade. You are not one flesh with anyone except a husband with a wife. And he said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus did talk about this stuff. He actually did this. Anybody remember playing Nintendo back in the day? Anybody remember resetting that mug? Blowing the cartridge out? No spit. Get it right to the edge, pop it down, reset your Nintendo. Control-Alt-Delete. Some of you modern kids uh, cry to your parents about it. (laughs) Dad, it doesn't work. Um, sorry, that was a projection right there, that's what that was. Jesus hit the reset button. It's so funny, Genesis three through Matthew 18, broken, broken, broken. Matthew 19, Jesus goes, we're going back. This is what God said then, it's what God says now. It's what he still says and what he still wants. So the plan of God, the design of God is gender binary, it's, it's maturity, it's, it's marriage, it's heterosexual, it's man and wife, it's monogamous, And it's sexual, I wanna encourage you to let your relationship reflect that. some of you are like, well, that's not my temptation, that's not my desire, that's not my design, I'm not attracted there, or I'm single, or I'm single again. Where do I go from here? And there's so many layers to this conversation, honestly. Uh, I I just wanna tell you, first of all, um, we are led by the Spirit, not our feelings, our impulses, our lusts, and our desires. I mean, there's so many things that we desire that are impulsive, that are the flesh, that are how we were raised, how we, were, you know, how we grew up. And, and if you're led by every impulse and desire, it will quickly lead you away from Christ. But, and that's not only just in sex and sexuality, that's in anger, addiction, that's in every area of your life. Listen, we are to be led by the spirit. In fact, let me get to the second part of this message. We need to be led by faith and let our feelings follow our faith. Many of us are led by our feelings. Oh, she she will make me happy. I know I'm married to this lady, but she will make me, she gets me. That's a feeling, that's not a faith. God's not a part of that. Man, I, I've lusted this for a long time or I've wanted this for a long time or I've felt this way for a long time. Don't be led by your feelings. Be led by faith and let your feelings follow your faith. The way our culture teaches is do what feels good. Do what you want, do what, do what feels right and do it first. Like we 100% have a do, do you boo kind of culture. What makes you feel good? What pleases you? We promote impulses, desires, how we're born, raised. The idea of discipline or living a disciplined life, saying no to your impulses is so foreign to many. Paul would say it like this. In a race, everybody runs, but, but only those who work the hardest run to the end and they get the prize. But that's a prize that's perishable. And in this life with God, we are to buffet and discipline our bodies every day against our impulses in order to receive the prize, the up. Calling upward calling of, of life with God forever. For God's people, we're to live upright, self-controlled, godly lives, according to Titus 2. Galatians 5 says we've been given the fruit of the Holy Spirit in us, which includes self-control. One of the biggest caveats people say as to why they wanna live outside of God's design, but I feel, okay, I'm, I validate your feelings. Now submit those feelings to the Lordship of Christ and exhibit some self-control. I'm talking adultery, fornication, sex outside of marriage, moving in together. Well, we can save money. Ain't no amount of rent checks worth me losing my soul. And I sound like such an old fuddy-duddy to talk like this. Get them Tinder swipe right apps off your phone. Stop shacking up with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Stop engaging in the impulses of your same sex desires. Stop lusting after women that aren't your wife or men that aren't your husband online, on your phone, at your office. Come back to a place of self-control. Be led by your faith in God. God's word says, Psalm 37, 4 says it like this, delight yourself in God. Every time I have somebody talk to me and they're wrestling through and I'm pastoring them through their impulses, their feelings, they're in love, they have all this, whatever. I go, have you spent any time with God about this? And typically the answer is no or no. I asked God and he didn't say anything. <laughs> He's actually said a lot. But if all you do is just check in and go, God, I'm gonna do this. If you say, don't say no, I'm gonna do it. He didn't say no. <laughs> you know. Like that's not how we live our lives. We have to grow in faith and understanding what does God's word say? What does God's word mean? Delight yourself in God and look at this. He'll put desires in you. This is one of the things that Cy Rogers taught me. He was a, a, a pre-operative transsexual in the 70s and 80s. and um, and living in a same-sex lifestyle relationship, and he hated God, he was atheist, and he's like, I don't want anything to do with that, and he was given a Bible by some friends, and he threw it in the trash. They gave him another one, and he started reading it, and he started delighting in God, in his word, and the Lord started like putting new desires in his heart. I mean, I just think God's so good, he can change you. I don't have to change you, that's not my job. It ain't my job to judge you into submission. It's God's job to change us. Hello, if you've got anger issues, spend time with God. If you have lust issues, spend time with God. If you have murderous intent, spend time with God. If you're a thief and a robber, spend time with God. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. But as it pertains to the content of what we're talking about today, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6. He starts by asking this question. I love the way he would ask rhetorical questions as if these are things you should know. Do you not know that the unrighteous won't inherit the kingdom of God? Like you should, okay, everybody would read that and be like, of course I know that. Non-believers aren't going to heaven, I get it. Un-Christians aren't saved, I get it. Then he gives this list and it's not an exhaustive list, by the way. But he starts by saying, don't be deceived, which whenever the apostle Paul uses this language, it implies that we lie to ourselves about this. It implies that you are deceived. You, You have deceived yourself or believed a lie. And then he gives this list. And I want you to notice how many times sex and sexuality are on this short list. Neither the sexually immoral, which what does that mean, right? What does the Bible say, what does the Bible mean? Whenever Paul uses the term sexually immoral, sexual immorality in the New Testament, it comes from this Greek word porneia. We get the word pornography from this word. And and the idea of porneia in the New Testament is any sex and sexual expression outside of the covenant context of a marriage between a man and a woman. That's what Paul means when he says it. I didn't, I'm not Paul. I wasn't there when he, this is what scholars agree. He says sexually, the sexually immoral, idolaters, those who worship things other than God, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, which is also gender specific to women as well, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, They won't inherit the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul is such a blunt pastor. And he starts with saying, don't be lied to about this. Which makes me just at least, and and you may disagree with this text completely. You may go, I don't like that that's on the list. But you at least got to ask the question, do I not like it because I'm deceived? What if I believe that's not true about this? And listen, it's such strong language. And, And it's not one thing, by the way. This list is a bunch of things. In Galatians 5, he says, the fruit of the flesh is evident. It's this, 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 this. He names some of these things, and then he goes, and things like this. But he starts by saying, don't be deceived. Don't give in to deceptions. Don't give in to lies of culture or lies of your flesh or lies of your feelings. We're led by faith, not by our feelings, right? And we've attached this stuff so much to our identity and who we are. And, And then watch the next verse. This is really interesting. He says, and such were some of you. Go back to that list, there's like nine things on that list. And he goes, and some of y'all used to do this stuff. But then watch this, but you've been washed and sanctified and justified. If those things weren't an issue to God, why does God offer sanctification and washing and justification for them? If adultery and fornication and same-sex behavior, if those things aren't a problem for God, then why does he wash us clean from them? If being a swindler and an adulterer and a liar aren't a problem, then why does he cleanse us from it? He says, such were some of you. So we wanna be led by our faith in this. Man, that's not who I am anymore. Then he goes on later in the chapter and he says, flee. There's that word again from sexual immorality, porneia. Flee from it, run from it. Man, if you're in a situation where someone's coming at you or you got something on your phone that's tempting you, you need to throw that phone down. You need to run out the house. I love the story of Joseph uh, caught up with Potiphar's wife. He ran out the house butt naked. Like, that's a whole other set of circumstances. Not only is she lusting after him and trying to pursue him and have sex with him, he runs out the house with no clothes on. How do you defend that? Dryer was broke, man, I had to get, you know, like. But that's the, that's the attitude the Apostle Paul has, just run from it. If you gotta get a flip phone to get away from pornography, if you gotta, whatever it takes, get away from this stuff. Every other sin a person commits is outside their body. When you murder, when you steal, when you lie, it's outside of your body but the person who sins sexually sins against their own body. Don't you know your body is the house, the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God who God has given you? And he says, you're not your own. Listen, church, this is a rebuke to the church. We don't get to own our physical sexual bodies. We don't get to, you're not yours because the Holy Spirit lives in you. He makes this really crass analogy. He goes, would you attach prostitution to the temple of the the house of God? No. In the same way when you're engaged in sexual immorality of any kind, it's attaching God's house to that. Y'all get anything out of this today? You're not your own, you've been bought with a price. So finally, and this is where we really need to land because I gotta close this sermon down. I'm over time and I'm sorry. I, I could probably do an entire series. I probably should start maybe a small group or something specifically talking through the nuances of this discussion maybe in the fall I'll do that I don't know but i want to challenge you genders and sex and sexuality are a gift from god it's very good we're going to be led by the faith that we grow in in the word and in prayer and finally i want to challenge you to identify with jesus not your gender i don't want you to see me as a man i am a man clearly but i'm a i'm a christ follower I'm not a white dude. I'm a Christ follower. I'm not a middle-class American or Southern. No, 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 I'm a Christian. Before you see anything, because all of those things can be stripped away. I could lose my house. I could lose my economy. I could lose my job. I could lose my nationality. We could lose our country to an invasion. Who knows? But I am found in Christ. Our identity is in Jesus, especially not your gender, sex. It's so interesting to me that the only place that we sin against the body is the area of our lives that we're trying to now find identity in. The issue with this whole discussion has less to do with your behavior and a lot more to do with who do you say that you are in God. The primary issue is that gender, sex, and sexuality have become the primary ways that people wanna be identified. You shouldn't be identified for your politics, your nationalism, your upbringing, what part of the country you're from, your degrees and titles, or your gender and your sexuality. We're called to judge one another with this. So so hear this, I don't care about any title you carry other than Jesus Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, his lordship, his gospel, his mission, his church, his kingdom, and his rule. That is the greatest issue of the whole debate. Are you identified in Christ? Paul said for me to live is Christ. He didn't say I'm Paul, the single apostle from from Tarsus. He never did that. He said, for me to live is Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Lord. Philippians 1.7, he said, only let my manner of life be worthy of the gospel. You and I are to be found in Christ, nothing else. We surrender every part of ourselves. Our economy, our gender, our status, our, our upbringing, every part of ourselves is to be laid on the altar as surrendered sons and daughters of Jesus. St. Patrick, the great... Uh, missionary to Ireland, taught this prayer, Christ shield me today, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. God doesn't see you as your struggle, he sees you as his son and his daughter. God's not remembering you for your sin, he's seeing you in your sainthood because of Jesus. He's not impressed with your pain, he's not slowed by your pain, he has moved in your purpose because he loves you dearly as a son. God doesn't have gay kids. God doesn't have straight kids. God doesn't have adulterous kids or married kids or fornicating kids. God doesn't have murderous kids or any of the, he has surrendered and submitted sons and daughters. That's it. And if any other label is your primary label over Jesus, you will not inherit the kingdom of God because the only title on our life is King Jesus. I wanna be clear that we love everybody. You may vehemently disagree with the statements of this message, but it doesn't change the fact that I love you deeply and I'm glad to be your pastor. We've said for years, everybody's welcome to have Jesus change their lives. We believe God's word and we believe God can change hearts, not only what it says, but what it means. And even though our culture's evolved or digressed or moved, we still affirm the Bible and the biblical worldview here. You and I must be found in Christ above all things. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. All who've received him, who believed in his name, he has given the right to become children of God. For in Christ you're all sons of God through faith, not by feelings, not by your wokisms and and your, your current trendy beliefs. If you've been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. God, there are so many ways we could have asked questions in this message and discussed things, but Lord, We believe that your word is spoken, not only clearly, but with the intent behind it, God, that you have a beautiful design for us and that we can submit to it and surrender to it. Lord, I pray today that we would be judged accordingly, according to your word, that as the church, we would believe what you believe. We would say what you say and we would love people and be gracious to people that don't believe what you believe. We're not here to judge the world. We're here to be judged by you and by each other. So God, I pray that this message would land well and speak prophetically and powerfully to your church today. Lord, if there's any of us in the room that have stepped away from your word and stepped away from your heart on these matters, God, I pray that you'd forgive us. For some, God, we need to have some really hard discussions with you about this. Because we're living in a life and a lifestyle and a relationship that maybe you're not pleased with. It might be adulterous or living together before marriage or in a sexual relationship that you're just not happy about. God, we've heard your design today. We've heard your will from Jesus reaffirmed today. I pray that we would have the boldness to repent before God, <clears throat> lay that at the altar. God, maybe we've believed some other things in an effort to, to love other people and love our neighbors. We've just believed other things, but God, bring us back to believing appropriately behaving appropriately, God, because we believe that's part and what's fitting for God's people. Lord, I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would give us the grace to repent, to find freedom, to find forgiveness, and Lord, to be excited about the beauty of your design. I pray for every married couple in the room that they would, they would reflect maturity, monogamy, marriage, and sex. I pray for every single person who's not there and maybe they're single again. <clears throat> God, that we would desire purity and fidelity and faithfulness in our singleness. Jesus, you are the greatest single man to ever live. We're thankful that you were full and fulfilled in, in your relationship with God in spite of your marital status. God, I pray that we would find beauty in that. Lord, that we would find our identity in Jesus Christ most of all. God, would you, would you bring new desires into our hearts? Would you change us from the inside out by the power of your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name. Lord, we love you. We surrender all give you our whole hearts and lives to the glory of God. Can we pray this just really simple prayer? God, I'm all in. Come on, I believe in Jesus, that his word is true, that his desire for me is better than my desire for me. I believe he died for me and rose from the dead that I may be saved. Say, I give you my whole life, I'm all in, in Jesus' name. Amen.